Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Liesl, Jeff, Alexander and Yori to discuss um, developing and retaining your product team. Before we delve deeper into the topic, I'll work my way around the room with some introductions. So Liesl, do you want to kick us off? Sure, my name is uh, Liesl de Toy. I'm a South African living in Denmark. I work for Maersk, an uh, integrated logistics company. I've been working in several commercial functions over the years uh, and my relationship with technology started when I specialized in revenue management uh, actually. And at the moment I'm the product leader for Maersk Spot and Twill, which is uh, a product that uh, offers uh, instant digital transportation solutions to our customers and a first in the industry. Fantastic. Uh, Yori, we'll come to you next. Yeah, my name is Yuri and I come from a company called Donkey Republic, which is a bike share that is active in 14 countries around Europe. Um, I've been working with uh, product development in different capacities since the mid 20s um, or the mid 2000s um, in many different roles, uh, both as a startup and myself, uh, but also for others as a consultant and the last few years um, working uh, here at Donkey uh, as the capacity of uh, head of uh, product development. Uh, our focus is uh, four different software platforms as well as developing hardware from IoT modules to bikes and so on. So it's quite broad um, and uh, a lot of challenges, a lot of fun. Amazing, thank you. And Alexander, we'll come to you next. Yeah, hello, my name is Alexander and uh, Dan, thanks for, for having me, first of all, on, on the podcast. Very excited to join. I'm the chief product officer at a company called Please. We offer a well-being platform that helps companies lift the physical, mental and social well-being of their employees. I have a background in B2B SaaS, both in uh, startups and in bigger companies, um, enterprises, I guess. And um, yeah, that, I guess that's pretty much it for me. Amazing. And last but not least, Jeff, we'll come to you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Uh, my name is Jeff Hilgers. I'm the product director for digital services at Husqvarna Construction. And like Lisa, I, I have a, a different background. I come from California. I've been living in, and working in Sweden for a couple of decades now. Um, the, my, the chief focus of my work is, of course, at Husqvarna. We have a lot of digital transformation to do, um, but the majority of my work centers around IoT-based, data-driven digital services. And then I also run uh, the strategy program around solutions and services, which is a big uh, spot of evolution that we need to do at Husqvarna. Fantastic. Cheers, Jeff. Um, so now that we've established a bit of context to each of you, we'll move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or statement on developing and retaining your product team. And as usual, I'll work my way around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. So each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So we'll kick off today's podcast with Yori, if you don't mind. Yes, uh, I posed the question, how do you ensure retention and development through distributed ownership and involvement? And uh, the background for asking this question is because we, we basically, we 
we are a fairly young company of uh, like seven, eight years, but there has still been a, a process of evolution when it comes to how do you come from uh, from basically hypothesis and ideation to specification and delivery, where uh, historically that has been mostly a top-down movement. So there's been a strategy devised by the leadership and then from then on it has been like trickling down and has become the truth. Um, and that has its um, uh, positives, which is that's very clear and you can follow that, but also takes away ownership <clears throat> and um, accountability from the people that usually end up having to build it. Uh, so one of the things that we've been transitioning to, at least on our side, is to have more involvement for the people that actually have their hands on when it comes to building things and having and playing a bigger part in the product development and uh, also specifications and actual uh, searches for outcomes and results. So I was wondering how uh, those factors uh, are in your line of work and what do you do to try to ensure that your team and product as a whole gets included and makes sure that they feel like they own this and they are involved? Yeah, I, I can try to answer. Um, I think it's a it's a very interesting question. And the, the first thing I thought was, how can you ensure retention and development if you don't have a distributed ownership uh, and involvement um, set up basically because i think that is what motivates people to stay um and that is what motivates people to and actually not motivates them but that's what makes them learn um that drives learning um and i think from your point of view what you need to be aware of and ensure is that the strategy um on an overall level is clear to those distributed teams so I'm, I'm very inspired by Netflix, who has this phrase, uh, highly aligned, loosely coupled. And I think that's the way you you win um, today. So I think it's, I'm, I, I mean, it's easier said than done, right? But but I definitely think that distributed ownership is the way to retain and, and develop people. Yeah, if I chime in there, I think your question rings true uh, in, in the work I do that. And if I'm really reflective of it, I think there's a lot of times that we don't do a good enough job creating that sense of distributed ownership and that a lot of the work some of our key people do, especially our technologists, is imposed upon them without enough thought or uh, interactivity in terms of why we're doing it, what their role is in it, uh, how it relates to the strategic work we're doing. and it, it seems crazy, doesn't it, that we're asking people to deliver and be uh, like really in many cases, right, in the digital business, the key uh, success factor is is the work they do. Yet we hadn't not only uh, been thoughtful enough or smart enough to involve them and 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 foster that sense of ownership that you're talking about. So I think that's a great point that you make. Yeah, so this is such an interesting question for me, right? Because of course, if you're working in a big enterprise, then uh, then sometimes it feels like the strategy comes uh, down from a cloud above. Uh, and uh, one of the ways that that we've really been able to 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 make this our own is through uh, really rethinking how we use OKRs in in our team. I, I can say that. Uh, Probably for the longest time, I didn't really understand the value of this tool and and the real meaning of the like the true objective 
um, and and have actually used it more like a KPI actually than uh, than something that really drives meaning. So so one of the things that uh, that really made a difference, at least for for our team, to to feel more ownership of this strategy was to to deeply understand the strategic uh, vision of the company and then asking themselves with all the knowledge they have of our customers and what they need, like, why do I wake up in the morning? And it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and it took us a long time to really go from a high level strategic, you know, corporate strategy to, to being able to answer the question of like, why do we get up in the morning and how do we make a difference for our customers? And what we realized is that it was actually a relatively straight and short line from the vision and the strategy to um, making three, four buckets of objectives that really inspired us and then carving out the, the details after that. And the the interesting thing is like nobody else can do that for you. So like the, that level of detail, that level of real meaning doesn't come from the strategy. You have to create that meaning for yourself. And uh, I didn't. It didn't occur to me before I really deeply understood how OKRs work that that they could be this the like the link uh, that that connects the the product people. So at least that's that's worked for us. And, and then of course you have to keep it fresh. Great insights. Um, yeah, I, I mean for us it's it's still a, a young process. We're we're still working on it and improving on it. Uh, but it is it is something that was born not only from uh, from the fact that it probably ends up being a better product uh, but also from the fact that it is something that people have asked for repeatedly to be more involved and to make sure that they also have accountability so it's also coming from like a a request from the from the people i think probably it's also a, a natural thing that happens when you when you grow because in in the beginning um a company when it only consists of a few people, then it's easy for the CEO to to have an overview of what's going on, what problem are you solving, and how should you solve it. But but as you start to have multiple product teams, three, four product teams, maybe it becomes impossible for one individual to actually be superior in understanding what problems you're solving and how you should solve them. That's why you hire product people. Um, it is to figure those things out, and. Uh, yeah, I probably what you experienced is the people who were hired to do this, but were not given the opportunity to, to actually figure out what to do. It's not really fun. Then they question how you're doing it, and then you're changing the way you're doing it. And yeah, I think that's that probably happens in nine out of ten companies. So I guess it's just nice that you're making this transition and and you're trying your best to, to do this because I have at least seen and heard of companies where the executive resist this because they only trust themselves and uh i think long term that's uh that that will cause problems for them i, I like what Liesl said there about the uh, strategy being delivered from the heavens to a degree because you know i see that happening uh in in many organizations that you have strategy off you know it's not a controversial strategy it's something that a lot of people can buy into but as it starts to make it its way towards the middle of the company where we have to deliver on it and build products that matter in pursuit of that strategy then you've lost track and 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 connection to that strategy and then it's very hard to execute it and honor the strategy uh, so that translation and that reinforcement as you said Liesl, um that meaning why you wake up every day 
that's a, that if if your product people can wake up every day remembering what they're connected to and what they're supposed to deliver you you know, ensure a, a, a greater success i would i would say yeah that's the interesting thing right because often it's not that people don't buy into the strategy they get very excited about it what they don't get excited about is being told how to deliver it that's the that's the part where you need to ask them like how how are we going to do this together and 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 doing it early um and repeatedly so i think this is also this continuing to check in because there's many layers to this right there's a vision layer there's a strategic layer there's the kind of kind of like objective uh layer and then there's the stuff you do every day and sometimes you know the you know you kind of get confused like wh where am i on the stack am i in the vision layer now am i at the just uh, do this small task now because otherwise something's going to stop working layer um and at least as leader i feel that i've not done a good enough job to position my team on like what layer are we talking now or what layer am i talking at now so so at least as a as a relatively young product leader th this is one of the things that that I've had to to come to terms with is being very clear. When am I asking? Um, what layer? What layer are we or level of the kind of product stack are we talking about now? And uh, when do we need to revisit our assumptions because something we believed is not holding true? So it really is an ongoing conversation, but like cons consistently reminding people that we hired them to great build great products. And therefore, they need to be in the front of this conversation, I think is also key. Fantastic. Um, great way to kick off the podcast today. We'll move on to Alexander's question next, please. Yeah, uh, this is a this is a big question from from my side, and it is um, how do you identify and retain top performers? Uh, the background for this question is I believe that the top performers in product uh, engineering and, and design are not just twice as valuable as, as average performers, but potentially 10x or 100x uh, as valuable as average performers. Um, despite that, I've seen and heard of um, countless people who, who left their positions because their employer was too reactive when it came to putting them in a position matching their ambitions, um, capabilities. And it can also, frankly, sometimes just be related to uh, to compensation. Um, and, and my own analysis is that um, there are some factors that can play um, a varying degree of role, and and those can be uh, companies overrate their own leverage. They simply think they are more important for the employee than they are. Uh, they think they are a greater, uh, sorry, better employer than they are. Uh, and there can also be organizational, you know, political things or bureaucratic things that that hinder uh, the promotion of a uh, of an employee to happen. So, yeah, to put it again, my my question is, how do you identify and ensure you are able to retain top performers? I, I could have, I'm I'm pretty passionate about the 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 topic that you uh, mentioned. I think it's a good one. And I one thing that I always find ironic and uh, Daniel might be able to relate to this, the amount of time and money spent on recruitment strategy versus retention strategy is shocking. And we would rather go out and find new talent than take care of the talent that we worked so hard and invested so much into. And uh, the numbers are shocking on what it, you know, when you lose a good person, the numbers are always shocking to me about 
how much investment it takes uh, to make that up and, and how much you actually lose in reality. So for me, um, focus on retention is what it's what it's all about. And I think, Alexander, that point you make that we overestimate our leverage, our strength, our brand, that that's what it matters to that human to keep them around producing. Um, we, I, I, I totally agree that that happens. Uh, but then we lose people all the time, don't we? Right. And or, or struggle to keep people happy and fulfilled in their jobs. So retention's the name of the game for sure. Yeah. I, I completely agree, and and it is uh, coming from a company that is, you could say it is, it's a sustainability company, which is another way of saying, not market leader in salary and and things like that, which means that we have to, we have to find other ways to both attract the top talent, but also to retain them. There's a few other factors in in play for us. Um, and I, but I do think it's very important to acknowledge the fact that your workplace is not a religion anymore. Um, so you, we've moved away from this uh, extreme loyalty towards uh, a specific employer. Uh, people are, are looking for the best offer for what they need. For some, that means uh, they need a mission that they can believe in. For others, it's a certain level of salary or certain level of responsibility or accountability. But I do think that uh, companies, most companies, probably mine included, forget the fact that retention is a lot cheaper than recruiting. And I think we all need to move in a direction where we make this a focus and make, I guess, a big change in, in how we work as companies. So this becomes a focus factor. So my team told me, uh, Lisa, when you go on the podcast, don't be too controversial. So I'm going to, so I'm going to be polite when I say that, <laughs> uh, you know, we're three product leaders and we're talking about the company like it's a living organism, right? Of course, we decide what's important. And if retention is important, then we need to figure out how do you, like Alexander asked, how do you identify and retain so I think for me, if I can say for myself personally, I mean, I don't, you know, you, you kind of like take the, the, the job for, for the money, but you stay for the meaning. And meaning can be many things for to, to different people. And it really, for me, starts by, lis by listening and asking people what is important to them. And for some people, what is important is a fantastic work-life balance. What's important for them is going home on time, being uh, able to attend uh, the school play or, or whatever else uh, it is that's important for them outside of work and not feeling that somebody is going to look down at them for, for leaving at 3 p.m. I think this this is uh, one thing. Other people, you know, what's meaningful for them is, is mastery and being able to continue to build on their craft, you know, continue to to invest in themselves, uh, work alongside amazing people, learning great things, solving hard problems. So I think, uh, uh, so at least Alex, I just want to say, I completely agree with you that this is super important. And I think it might be easier than we think if, if we believe it ourselves. And, and that's how we show up as leaders. And that's how we speak to our people. And we just ask them what's important to you. And of course, then do with what we can within our means to 
to deliver on what's important to them and to be honest when we can't if they're if they're looking for like a fantastic promotion and and simply these jobs are, are not coming up soon then then i think it's uh, important for us to to be open uh, about uh, what what may or may not be possible in the realm of what uh, creates meaning for them yeah i i agree with with everything you're you're saying and i think it's it's very interesting um i guess the the, the question we can ask ourselves is if we need to focus more on retention, if that makes sense, then why aren't we doing it? And I think uh, what you just mentioned, Liesl, is you you have to ask those kind of questions, and that's being a good leader. But but maybe sometimes we we don't do it, or companies don't do it because they don't think it's important enough to do it uh, on that exact day. You know, that's something that can be postponed uh, and by the way this person have their annual review in in four months why don't we wait uh, and raise the salary then or give them more responsibilities then and that's you're just you're just really gambling uh with with your your talent uh or your 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 employees you know being able to retain them by doing that i think that's i think that's also basically what you're saying one thing I've seen uh, a lot of times is uh, someone who is uh, a great employee, both you know uh, as a performer, but also as a person. They leave the company, and then you go around, you sit down at a table, and you discuss with your leader: Is there anything we could have done? You know, and then we tell ourselves: No, no, we couldn't. They they just got an offer we couldn't match or whatever. And then the the, the problem is, at least from what I've seen, is in most cases you could have done something. Like you're saying, these you could have asked those questions early on and tried to put them in the position they wanted to be in and probably also deserved to be in. But because you were too reactive, then you lost your opportunity and now you're starting over. And you have to go out in the market, by the way, and find someone who's great. You have to pay them the market rate because otherwise, why would they join the company? And um, yeah, that's uh, that that happens too often. I think. I think I think it's a great point. Uh, about learning too late like we all do exit interviews we all learn at the moment where it's too late and yeah. <laughs> like you like you say it's i think it's it's often that the conclusion is we couldn't have done something but that's just because the reaction was too late like if if that conversation had been started six months prior where it would have been like because nobody finds a job six months later right so this is a process that has been probably a couple of months underway, but the thoughts might have started earlier. So, and and I guess we all, I'm sure you all do, you have running talks with your team. Like, it's not like we don't have check-ins and one-on-ones and so on. So if we, if we make sure that we have a finger on the pulse for these things, we should be able to catch them and make sure that, that people uh, get pushed in the right direction. And like Liesl says, this is like this is so individual. What is necessary for you is not the same as for me. And we need to identify these triggers of motivation that keep people interested and and motivated to stay at a company. And I, I don't think it's like sometimes when you're in a room in, ma- in a managed room room, it sounds like a bad thing when things are fun. But it's I mean, I don't think that's a problem. I think work can and should be fun. And uh, and what's fun for one person is different for another. So, yeah. I, th- 
I think one one of the things that's helped me a lot, uh, uh, and I, I love this term that you're using, Yuri, uh, motivational triggers. I'm going to steal that. Um, but but one thing that's really helped me, and and I've a I have a colleague that's been working with me for for about four years, and at at some point he told me, Lisa, we, we talk about my development, but uh, it would be so nice to have a plan, like to to write it down and to come back to it. And until that moment, of course, I thought I was really good at this. So, so we've we've become very formal about this, for for lack of a better word. Every person in my team has a personal development plan that is written down. We have a shared format, um, and and this has actually been uh, really great uh, for just to make yourself think about it. Because sometimes, if you're sitting in front of somebody that that you really rate. And and you ask them, so, uh, you know, are you happy? What would you like to work on? How how do you see your, your future unfold? And the person might be flattered that you're asking, but they're not able to answer this question. And I think it's really important that we keep asking this question and that, that we start writing it down and that we keep coming back to it. I think my personal, uh, my own personal development plan, I have hacked and slashed and changed <laughs> in the last year. As I learned things, experienced things, I realized, you know what, I kind of like this path, or I just realized that I'm not as good as, good as I thought uh, at this thing. So, and the same happens for, for my team. So we actually had a, a little workshop where we showed each other our personal development plans and then commented on it, like including uh, development areas, barrier, barriers, uh, strengths, etc. And it was a real test for the trust, um, but it was deeply satisfying because people were just telling each other, are you kidding me? Did you leave this amazing thing that you can do off your strengths? Like, why don't you put it? And people just don't think about stuff they're great at because for them, it's like breathing. Of course I do it. <laughs> Whereas the things they're not good at, they, they kind of hyper-focus on that. And I think at least this, for me, kind of making it a team conversation that we're all openly looking to develop has normalized it and it makes it easier for, for me to, to keep talking about it without making somebody feel that they're in a spot. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, so next we'll move on to Jeff and your question, please. Yeah, my, my question for you guys is around uh, what I call the, the growth promise, whatever that means uh, to the teams that we work with, whatever growth means. Um, and my reflection on that is I remember, I just think back in my life, how few, whether it was coaches, teachers, uh, bosses, many of them professed to take a, a genuine interest in my growth, uh, however I define that. But in reality, uh, there was only a few who I, I really felt took that genuine interest. And I think that's what's happening, this disconnection where people we're getting into checkbox development, checkbox growth. We promise you this long, fruitful, um, challenging um, growth trajectory to your career. But how many of us actually make good on it, right? Or is it just something that sounded good at the point of, of recruitment? So I think, uh, and here's the thing, you guys all seem so nice and so human uh, that I doubt this is a problem for you. But uh, that's my question. How how do we make good on that promise? And how do we help them define it, uh, what growth means to them and, and make good on it for them? That's a key to retention, I would say. I can jump in. <clears throat> um, I mean, I, I very much agree that that's a key to retention. Um, the 
I, th I think we, we it, this is very much a human question. And I, and I do think that um, it is it is about connection and understanding uh, where people are. Uh, because if you don't have a good sense of where they're coming from, it's very hard to build a baseline that you can build growth on. Um, and I, I think giving giving them both the tools of actually figuring out uh, where they are and where they want to go is is a great start. And you can do that in different ways. I, I think Diesel probably has some very practical suggestions for that. Uh, but I, I think the most important thing is making sure that that is an open discussion and that is not a static thing. I think most of us uh, started out in a world where it's the question was like, where do you want to be in a year or three years or five years? And then it becomes this like humongous plan that never really works well in the real world uh, unless you're like studying a course or whatever. But but from a, a and, and that's also because many of these things like in in our in our company we often talk about hard skills and soft skills and we don't only work with hard skills like technical abilities and so on but we also work with people's soft skills so that could be i don't know learning a language or being better at communicating or um learning how to speak up in meetings and so on and then but they call they all come from an urge or an insistence from the person to be better at something so i think it's the the goal and the the hope is that you can help identify of course you can also have uh, wants as a company for what people should improve but i think if if i've learned anything over the years is that if people are motivated they will be good at it. If they're not, then it's hard to learn. So you need to know what motivates them and then figure it out together. Okay, I, I can try to go next. Um, as I hear your questions, there are kind of two two parts to it. The first part is is recruitment. And this is something that um, <clears throat> that annoys me quite a bit is that every company see, seem to be great at everything uh, when they recruit. It's like we are whatever, we are XYZ. Uh, we promise you growth. Uh, what is it uh, 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 like? Something about a learning curve and and whatever. Um, and and from my point of view, the best thing you could do in recruiting, and what I try to do myself, is be extremely honest about what situation you're in. Say these are the things we're good at. These are the things we are trying to accomplish. Um, and then. Basically, if we just talk about growth, then what I would say is I will promise them that I will do everything I can to help um, foster their growth. And then the next part is when they actually join the companies doing what uh, Liesl said, and, and that is asking them what do they want to um, achieve? What do they want to get better at? And then figure out how you can actually do that um, through the, the job that they have. So I think it's, you know, over promising doing recruiting is a very short term way of, of running your business that is just uh, very bad. Um, instead, try to be honest, try to be better and try to do your best at actually uh, helping your 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 teammates that that would be my my answer yes so i think it's a really good question uh, jeff i also feel like it's blending maybe a little bit with some of the conversation we've already had so I'm going to try to supplement with uh with a different angle 
uh, which which for me is about uh, feedback. And uh, I, I recently read an article uh, said that uh, most people value feedback very highly, but very few leaders understand their responsibility in giving feedback um, as much as the people crave it. And they gave a simple example that really struck me and said that if you if you are sitting in a meeting with some spinach in your teeth, then the cost of telling somebody that they have something in their teeth is so low compared to the value of that person knowing that they have that thing. And when they go to the bathroom after this meeting, discovering that they just hosted a very serious meeting with this thing sitting there. And yet we all can do this cost calculation, telling about the spinach, learning about it later. And what do we do? We hold back. We don't share feedback with people because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't know if we may be the best at giving feedback. And this is something where I wouldn't say I'm the master of the universe, but it's something I want to, to work on, especially after I read that article, because for me, everything that everybody said so far is super important when it comes to, to growth and investment in our people, whether it's the promises we make before or how we keep them after, but also having the courage to give the feedback that can help people grow because we can't see ourselves clearly. We can't. And our husbands and wives will be super happy to tell us you know, exactly what we can improve on and then we'll ignore them. But at the office, who's really telling you and how much would you really like to know? No, that would be uh, that would be my take on this. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you're saying, and, and maybe the reason why we don't do it is because it's if, if you don't say something, you can kind of predict what will happen, and that is you will not get into a, a weird situation yourself. But it's it it's it's better in this case and in many cases to do the more difficult thing, and then afterwards you will always. Or, you know, understand the the, the value of, of of you doing it. And and I, I was just trying to think about uh, are we just saying all the right things in this podcast? Uh, we probably are, but there's a reason why people do it. And I, I think we have tried to also be specific around that. But 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 probably it is that it is not easy to do these things. You need to you need to have energy. You need to have kind of oversight of what's going on. You need to do difficult things every single day and and those will help you and your teammates um if you do it but if you don't then you fall back to these kind of anti-patterns that we have talked about today i think i, I think Lisa made a great point that look offering feedback thoughtful feedback requires generosity from the person who is going to take the time analyze the situation i mean we're, we're used to giving you know a pat on the back here or uh uh light criticism there that but you know if we relate to to how we help another human grow and a, a member of our team grow how would we expect them to grow without us taking generous time to to offer feedback thoughtful feedback that's meaningful to that growth path but i think it's also when when you open that door usually when you have some kind of of growth project or whatever you call it with an employee then if if that's something you have already put in 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 uh, you can say a structure that we are talking about this then the feedback routine becomes a lot easier because then it's not like 
I, I, am I now I'm going to give you feedback. It's like this is the feedback that is coming. So it's already like the door is open and then the you could say the risk part of it as as a leader becomes less. And, and I and I think also the conversation around it flows a lot easier. So I think maybe something about building the structure where you actually give this feedback helps everyone, just not only us, but also everyone else. Amazing. Cheers, guys. So today to finish off the podcast, Liesl, we'll come to you last but not least. Yes. Yeah, so, so my question is about learning on the job. And uh, so I, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, retention and uh, all of these important things. And I, I recently spoke to a, a colleague and he said he's doing his MBA. And one of the first tasks they had to do was to write their own obituary. And he said that, uh, Surprisingly, he wrote very little about his job on his obituary, and uh, I was just thinking, you know, you, you don't uh, you don't remember the features you released, you don't, you know, but you do remember the great people that you worked with, the things you learned, the hard things that uh, that you got through, and I was also thinking that mastery is a key feeling to feeling satisfied, uh, to to want to stay in a company or in a role and creating the opportunity to master something is uh, is quite key so i was thinking about how how do you do this in a good way because you could overall understeer on this factor and you know if people are already having a high learning curve just by virtue of doing their job and you come and ask them to learn one more thing um, you could tip them over. They it could be too much. Whereas if there's somebody that is maybe feeling like they've got this, and you're not offering them enough opportunities, whether it's internal or external exposure to to new um, learning, you could bore them and lose them. So um, yeah. So so this is something that's very interesting to me. I'm personally a lifelong learner, and uh, I think I can sometimes stress my team by being too keen. On learning new things and bringing it home. Uh, so I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on learning on the job and uh, yeah, knowing when to when to push and and when to hold back. I think this is also one of those funny scenarios, like Alexander mentioned previously, that uh, during recruitment and onboarding, this is something we have a practice for. Like onboarding is acquiring new knowledge, trying to navigate territories you haven't used uh, before, and and learning uh, a new product or a new skill set because not always uh, does the employee fit to a T. So we have that for the start of a work relationship, but that doesn't end there. Like in any organization that needs to thrive, it needs to be dynamic and living. And that means that the employees and, and everybody in a team needs to grow and learn as we go. I think, again, this is like you mentioned, very individual. What's what's possible for one is, is difficult for another. and you both have to find the balance where you do push even though there might not be set room for it if you can see the potential because what can happen in some of these cases and i've tried that many times before is that sometimes you just unlock a door for someone and then they kind of explode with the potential and creativity but 
and and I think that is our go or our job as a leader to spot these opportunities, you could say, for pushing people out into the deep sea, because that, at least from my experience, is how you learn the best. It is a challenge, but it also has to be concrete. Like you need to have a specific thing you need to achieve. Um, theoretical knowledge by itself is hard when when you're forced to do something that is out of your comfort zone. But if you have to build something, then suddenly you start making your way to shore. Yeah, my comment on that, I, I, look, learning for the sake of, of being a learning being and evolving is super important. I think sometimes when we ask team members to learn, it's for the company's, um, well, a little bit of the company's selfish interest that you would learn something new that we could have great application to your current role. Are we actually genuinely um, encouraging them to learn for their own growth? Because for me, a, a big part of this whole retention equation uh, is that constant challenge, that constant evolution. And I think that ideally you can find learning pathways that are both uh, yeah, powerful for the individual, right? And powerful for the company and uh, contributes to a better experience and, and a better outcome for the company. Um, but I think it, it, it's an interesting road to navigate, right? As, as Yuri said, if you, you know, equipping people with, with new knowledge and uh, new stimulation, um, you have to find a way to redirect it back to the common, the, the common pathway that, that you're working on together. I think from my point of view, um, learning is is the best way to learn is to be in the right uh, position, uh, and th that basically means that you have a job in, where you do something that you care about. So, in in for myself, it's it's product management and and being a leader. But if we just stick to product, then if I'm if I'm able to to be a product manager in the way that I should be, which means, for example, that I'm not being told by the CEO uh, what to do, but that I'm able to, you know, the CEO trust that I can figure out how to do my role, then I will learn a lot from, from doing that. Um, I have not seen, I, I don't know if it, if it is valuable in other organizations, but but what from what I've seen, just learning on the job is, is, uh, is great. Uh, and you don't need more than that. Uh, a lot of people who care about what uh, the, the field they work in, they also hear podcasts, they read books, they are part of communities where they talk about how to be better, how to do X, Y, Z. Um, so I think you you just have to kind of, like I said, put them in a position where they are sufficiently challenged so they uh, continue to grow. And then one thing I want to mention is um, I will I read a tweet from uh, a guy named Sreyas Doshi. I don't know if you know him, but I consider him to be one of the top uh, product influencers who had he has a, uh, had he has been working for Google, uh, Stripe, uh, Yahoo, uh, and this like I don't know he's been doing it for for twenty plus years. And and he said that he's spending ten to twenty percent of his work time on on improving his skills. And he justifies that by saying that in the 80% of his time where he actually works on his job, so to speak, he's much better and becomes uh, much better continuously. Um, so I just thought that was that was kind of an interesting and very bold um, take. 
Why do you think that's both? I've never I've never heard my own employer or you know my it's not just my current one but any of my employers historically ask me uh, to spend 10 to 20% of my time on this. I don't think they have ever been against it but they have also not really said that it was a good idea. So maybe it's just something I do uh, and they also know that I do it and it's it's kind of uh, implicitly can you say that understood um but uh, maybe it would be nice if companies were more deliberate about this maybe they are in organ other organizations but just not the ones uh i know no i agree with you that that explicit being explicit about it uh there's really only one company i've heard of and it's back in the old days 3m right where that you said that 20 percent of your time whatever is supposed to be explicitly devoted to developing something that wasn't part of of your day-to-day -day work and I think that there's a lot to be said about being explicit by that. And it, it, it sounds modern to devote so much of your time, 10 to 20% of your time learning, getting better. But um, if leadership did the math on how much that time costs in terms of day-to-day uh, -day work, uh, I'm not sure they would embrace it as much as they should probably, or see the value. They They would see it potentially as a as a compromise uh, to the operation. So I, I think that being explicit about it, making it a value of the company is probably the right way to, to institute such a such a culture that we require, uh, Alexander. Yeah, and I think that takes us back to what we've talked about earlier about doing the difficult things. In the short term, it's difficult to have someone spend 20% of their time on getting better at their job, but probably in the long term, it's a very wise investment to, to, to make uh, because there's, as knowledge workers, it's 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 very important that we stay on on top of what is going on and 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 evolve our skills uh, accordingly, because I think that that brings ultimately much more value to the company uh, compared to if we if we hadn't spent that time um, evolving our skills. And from the retention perspective, it's another motivational aspect, right? It's the last uh, thing that is hard to touch. It's time. Uh, when you have the different factors uh, and time being the only resource you can only really, you can never really bargain with. And if this is something where people feel that this time is well spent, then that will be ultimately the reason why they stay because they are allowed to do that in your company and maybe not in your competitors. I think uh, I think it's such an interesting topic. So we had a we had an internal training uh, course at uh, at Maersk and and uh, I decided to be quite bold, like uh, Alexander called it. And instead of doing it at night on Saturday, I decided to block every Tuesday uh, to to uh, read, to learn, to do the assignments, to to whatever. And uh, loved the course. And when it ended after a couple of months, I realized I had a, a recurring block in my calendar. Um, so I never took it away. And uh, every Tuesday, I read, reflect, I learn something, um, I work with my coach, and uh, my team knows this now. Uh, and, and this is also a little bit how I tried to normalize it by being quite open that. I read books during working hours. What a what a scandal! Um, and uh, it's it's quite interesting because pe first people look at me like, "Are you nuts? Like, do you know how many meetings you could have taken in that time?" I'm like, "Yeah, but when would I learn something smart to say?" 
in those meetings if I didn't have time to read books. So it's a, it's a little bit of a of a of a joke sometimes. But uh, I think we're so busy being busy that we forget to invest in ourselves. And uh, at least I think every now and then we should be scandalous and actually read something or watch something during working hours and just set a little bit of a trend. That's great. I, I, like, I like that. <laughs> we all like setting that. the example. Yeah, setting the example is important. It's it's like it's like the leader that says, I'm going home now because I'm going to my kids ballet recital, right? Walk the walk for them. And I like that blocking out Tuesday to learn learning Tuesdays. It's nothing to be ashamed of. No, I definitely salute it. I, I, I think it's I very much agree with with the fact that especially in our roles, we are we are setting the example. And if we're asking people or want people to do this, then we need to show the way. And uh, that might mean that we have to have a conversation with our bosses, but I think that's <laughs> discussion worth having. I'm sure they don't know what you do all day anyway, <laughs> so just <laughs> crack open a book and get on with it. Correct. Fantastic. Cheers, everyone. Uh, we'll leave it there for today, then. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Liesl, Jeff, Alexandra and Yuri for providing their insights into the topic. And thanks to everyone for listening as well. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at daniel.mycheck at evolution-nordics.com. And we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Daniel. Cheers. Cheers.